Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome in to episode 54 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. And who we got over here today? Uh, my name's Luke. Thanks for having me. Luke, how are you doing? That's Luke the bartender, right? <laughs> now, you're not bartending today. It's the day off. Not today. Finally a day off. I'm pretty good. How are you guys? Good, good. Uh, Doug? Yeah. yeah, I mean, the weather, typical Vancouver fashion, bipolar as fuck. Early in the morning, it was cloudy, cold, looked like it was going to rain. Now it's sunny, bright, and beautiful. I love this time of year. I, I love October. Like it's, It is kind of weird. Um, I was out and about on Saturday, beautiful fall day, and there was a part of my, the, my back of my brain was just like, I got to get home for hockey night in Canada. And you don't get that right now. It's, it's kind of a little weird. The sports season's a little bit off. Uh, the World Series coming up does make things a little bit normal we got even right now we're recording and there's an nfl game that started at two on a monday so strange times but i do still love this time of year you can find the podcast online on the twitter machine that's at canuck speak i'm at pete underscore gas uh give me a follow at doug then and as always we're creating our outro playlist on spotify all the tunes we use for the outro segment of every episode we're adding it to the ever-growing playlist give that a follow the canucks speakeasy outro playlist on spotify luke where can they find you i believe it's at lcfrst2 sound like me i always forget my my handles i got like my instagram and my my twitter ones are, are super similar and the amount of times i've been recording here and I'm, i've just blanked i'm like what is my twitter handle but i'm pretty sure it's pete underscore gas i think it's more like muscle memory now well it's kind of like your phone number right like you never dial your own number so anytime someone asks oh hey what's your phone number at least for me i like have a second i gotta pause i'm like uh oh, what is my phone number how many how many phone numbers do you guys actually have memorized right now? Like I can I still know my mom's because it's the same from when I was growing up, but outside of that, like I, I regrettably know a couple of work numbers. But weirdly, I, I still remember my mom's from when I was a kid. Yeah, so the one that stuck in my head. But other than that, just my own. I remember a lot of my friends' numbers growing up too. Some of them had really easy numbers too. But like, geez, I I I know Doug, your phone number is very close to mine. But even then, I, I kind of forget it. Yeah, our numbers are very similar. I, I remember my fiance's phone number, but that's because when we go to Savon, I, we, I use her phone number to get the points. <laughs> dude, don't laugh at the point system that Savon has, man. It is. Absolutely, dude. The more rewards, you can actually get some good stuff on there. You get Canucks tickets from time to time. Uh, I actually used last year when we did our fantasy football draft. I used our rewards for my ferry ride there and back. So I had a free ferry ride there, free ferry ride back. Uh, yeah, man, those more rewards, man, they really add up. Thank you, Jim Pattison. <laughs> well, there we go. Is that our, our, our episode sponsor this week, I guess? Hey, uh, you, you're also, uh, I know Legacy is another one that you're a big fan of. You're, you're always buying your scotch from there. I, I am. And actually, that's funny that you bring that up because I saw today the Daily Hive tweeted that the signature release is being uh, at all the BCLs is happening uh, November 1st, where there's like some really rare scotches, wines, rums. Uh, whiskeys in general uh, being released on November 1st. I actually have a buddy who I'm pretty sure doesn't listen to the podcast, just in case you are, though. Uh, he actually camps out at the 41st and Canby Liquor Store. Apparently, there's a big thing. All these guys go and camp out there. Last year, they had like a food truck there that was making them like egg sandwiches in the morning and stuff like that to go and buy like we're talking Special like, editions. Yeah, like two, three hundred dollar bottles of whiskey that only come out once or twice a year and get bought up that day. Wow. That's kind of funny. It's like uh, A&B Sound back on Boxing Day as well. Everyone lining up there. Um, anyways, 
We could go on and on about people that don't sponsor the show. Uh, we are sponsor-free here, although uh, we just gave some good plugs out there to some struggling businesses like Save on Foods. Um, Luke, though, uh, anyone who's never talked to you before, they're probably picking up that you've got a bit of an accent. Uh, so, first of all, how long have you been in Canada, and were you a hockey fan before you came to Canada? I've been here about six years, actually just over six years, and I, uh, I was a fan about two years before I came out here. What turned you on? Was it like some people I know the EA video games get people into it? Like for me, that was how I got into FIFA and then soccer was, was through the games there. But was there like, you know, a late night games that were getting shown over there or a Canadian buddy that you got to know or how did it come about? Uh, I had a friend from when I lived in, in Swansea in South Wales and he used to go see the Cardiff Devils. I don't know if you've heard of him. Mm-hmm. It's actually funny. Our pub at work used to have a Cardiff Devils jersey on the wall. Nice. I, I kid you not. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It was given to me by these three Welsh guys who uh, went to games with. Uh, this was maybe like 10 years ago or so, but yeah, we had it hanging for a while. Yeah, it's a it's a different game completely, but it's, um, yeah, that was fun. I used to go to see, see games there and uh, that kind of got me into it. And then I knew I was going to be coming to Vancouver. So I started following the Canucks. Were you following anyone before the Vancouver decision? Was there a team that you're kind of looking at a bit, but wasn't quite grabbing your heart? I went to uh, New York in 2012, I think. And I stood outside uh, Madison Square Gardens and I was like, I'm going to be a Rangers fan. And then it quickly just disappeared. We also have the Rangers connection at work, eh? (laughs) Yeah, one of the guys at work um, is a Rangers fan. His first game ever uh, was a Rangers game and Obviously, the Canucks have their 93-94 Stanley Cup final against the Rangers, so you have definitely chosen the right path, Luke. <laughs> or at least the more painful path. But uh, I, um, my mom's from the New York area. My first game was actually in New York, but for the Islanders out at Nassau Coliseum, and that was my first game. But by that point, I'd already had years of Canucks suffering through the mid-'80s in my veins, so couldn't jump ship then. you gotta got to stick with the, with the one that – First pulls your heartstrings and Tony Tanti and Petri Skrico in that era. That was that was my first love. You gotta stand by your team. So I've uh, I've I've lived in Australia as well, and watching hockey abroad, uh, it, it's weird times. It's it, there's is some real challenges I had with even trying to find a, a Canucks game on at at reasonable hours. I remember there's a lot of early morning games over there. It's even harder though in Europe. I mean. Seven o'clock starts here. That's three in the morning in the UK. How did you get around that? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a big time difference. Um, I used to go on various websites to try find a stream at like four a.m. and uh, I used to stay up till around six a.m. watching the Canucks games. Those overtime games were a killer. I remember you said you're an Ever- or not part of me a Blackburn fan as well, right? Yeah. So you you must be used to being a fan of losers, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. hey, I love the Canucks, failing, dude. Failing oh, teams. Hey, dude, no, but there's something there's something about like you know those lovable losers, which I think the Canucks kind of are, you know, to to a degree in their history, right? Like, I still love the team. I bleed the blue, you know, the black and the orange, whatever you want to say. But uh, you know, there is something about that team that's constantly the underdog or constantly seems to have the odds against them and you always kind of cheer for them right i mean i'm a patriots fan in the nfl but i was a fan when drew bledsoe was the quarterback before they went on this massive dynasty with brady and they were kind of a laughing stock of the nfl and that 2001 super bowl they were still regarded as the biggest underdog ever going into a super bowl against the rams the st louis rams at the time they were like the greatest show on turf kind of thing so 
I respect that, man. Your Blackburn roots have brought you all the way to Canucks fandom. You got to stick by your team. That's like the one thing I was always uh, raised with, I guess. My dad. I'm still, I'm still uh, offended by the lo- the losers comment there. The lovable <laughs> losers, man. Like, uh, I think we've just lost about half of our listeners just from that. I mean, I, I wouldn't say the Canucks have always been lovable losers, though. I mean, I think the last couple of years, the the image with this team has changed. And uh, you, you asked that 2010-2011 team, man, that that team was despised throughout the league. Uh, Luke, were you following around that point? Did you catch that, or did you get to avoid that sort of heartache that that we all had no, to go I, through? No, I, I avoided that. Um, I've I've seen everything on YouTube and broken my heart with it uh, since then. But yeah, I, I was on. I kind of joined on the downswing after that. So this year would have really been, I guess, uh, the first year you got to personally see any sort of real physical success from the team. Yeah, I mean, there was that playoff series against Calgary a few years back, which was brutal. I think Furlan ran Rupshaw on the Canucks yeah. that series as well, right? Yeah, we try to forget about that. But this would have been your first ever playoff series win that you got to see, or even a, like whatever Minnesota was, a play-in, play-off. But this was the first time you really got to get a taste of the energy that comes in the city. Like down here in the West End where we record, when there's an overtime goal, you hear all the hooting and hollering. You know, you go out, you see the shots out of in Surrey at Scott Road. You see all the people kind of going nuts there. Like this city comes to life when there is any sort of playoff success. And uh, now that we got a taste of it, here's hoping for a little bit more in the next couple of years. Yeah, it was pretty cool working in the bar as well uh, during the games. It's mainly where I watched all the games, I think. Um, Good atmosphere. Yeah, even with COVID, there are people still kind of hooting and hollering. I know Doug and I came in for a game there as well and positioned ourselves well. Didn't we lose that one? I think we so. Did, yes. I don't even think we scored a goal. I think that was, uh, was that the first one? I think we got shut out that game. Yeah, I don't remember if it was the Vegas or St. Louis series, but I, I know we definitely got shut out. I want to say it was a Vegas game. I think it was Vegas, yeah. Game two uh, when we got shut out, unfortunately. But, hey, I mean, it was a great run. And, you know, I think the one thing, and again, I'll back up my comments about being the lovable losers a bit here. Uh <laughs> They do seem like they're on the upswing. And I know there's a lot of negativity surrounding the team, especially online and stuff like that. But I do think that when you look at the team and you look at the core that is forming here and some of the the great personalities that this team has, you've got to be really optimistic and really, really, you know, excited for what the future holds. Well, yeah, and let's uh, let's get into it then. And um, we had a good conversation with Lee Froline last week uh, about all things Canucks. Not a lot of news happened since the Nate Schmidt trade broke uh, until today. We had the Adam Gaudet signing. And then, uh, Doug, help me out with the name again, man, because you know how bad I am with names. I believe it's Jace Howerlick. Let's go with that. I'm just going to call him Jace for, for the rest <laughs> of this episode. But we have a couple of minor moves. It's, you know, it's it, after nothing really happening, I, I like to think maybe that Benning had all, all weekend to kind of sleep on it, gets up Monday, makes his moves, and, and away we go. Um, Godet, really reasonable cap hit. Luke, what do you what do you think about that one? Uh, it's a great cap hit. Um, it's for a year, right? Yeah, one year, nine fifty. So okay. uh, even a little bit less than I thought he was going to get. I thought it would be more. Yeah, I thought it was going to be at least one and a half. What do you think about the the one year on it, guys? Like, uh, it's a little bit of a show me. Uh, he's still RFA after this. So, what do you guys think? I know there was something, because he came into the league uh, halfway through or at the end of his college career, he burned that first year of eligibility. So because of that, 
he actually doesn't have any arbitration rights and he couldn't be offer sheeted either. Same thing is going to happen with Hughes next year. Obviously, Hughes will be making a hell of a lot more than 900K. Um, so I do think the Canucks were in kind of a good position. And I agree with you, Pete. Like, I do think it's a bit of a show-me contract. You know, I like Gaudette. I really, really, really do. I do want to see him kind of up his game and take that next step. I haven't really seen that from him. I don't know if he could maybe focus on being more of a defensive player, maybe get better in the face-off circle. Sucks that we don't have Manny Malhotra anymore. And maybe add, you know, PK to his repertoire. Yeah, it's that 10.2C contract, I believe, is uh, is was what prevents that. But yeah, it's you burn a year of that first year, which is good for the wallet, but yeah, it limits you in this situation. Um, I, think, I think as well, I've had a few conversations with uh, different fans about the Gaudette factor, and in my opinion, this is kind of the year where he's either going to put up or he's going to get what I call the Hobie Baker fade. You know, it's guys like Jimmy Vesey had who just signed in Toronto as well. Um, what do you guys think, though? Do you think Gaudette can turn this corner? You mentioned a few things. For me, I'd like to see him shoot more as well. I'd like to see him get into that 15 to 20 goal range at least and, and be, solidify that 3C spot with all these vets coming off the books over the next couple of years. Uh, Luke, what do you think his ceiling could be? Uh, I think he's going to have a good year. I think it's going to be his best year yet. That's what, that's what I want to happen, and I, I think it's probably might happen. Um, I'm just curious to see... It's kind of changing the subject a little bit, what's going to happen with Vitanen now, because he still remains unsigned, right? He does. He's going to arbitration. Um, but I, I, the Vertanen domino is, is, is really interesting as well, because... Right now, with up against the cap, they're they're pretty tight. You can move. You have to now move a couple guys to fit for ten in. No matter how you do it, even if you just demote a couple guys to the minors, that's the wiggle room that you need right now. But you're going to get really tight up against the cap. Um, I'm not convinced for is going to be a Canuck next year, but I am convinced that he's going to sign. Um, it's then just this question of okay, you have no cap flexibility. You want to bring in another defenseman, which also makes the the Jace signing today kind of tightening the squeeze i know it's a two-way contract but uh with Vertanen right now unless you move a couple guys and you're hoping that Ferland is on ltir that's tight it feels like they have something in play like to move contracts out i don't know if that's just my optimistic feeling no i agree i think there has to be a move in benning's back pocket here um i think they're probably waiting to see what the arb award is in the Vertanen hearing uh there's also the second buyout window where they could in theory buy out a player who's making above $4 million once uh, Vertanen's arbitration goes through. So there's an option to maybe you buy out Brendan Sutter. I would like them to do that. I just don't think they want any dead money on the cap next year when they have to re-sign Petey and Hughes. Uh, Demko as well, depending on what kind of year Demko has next year. I mean, I would assume him and uh, Holpe are going to split the games probably 60-40, maybe 70-30. But you got to assume Demko is probably going to get a decent raise uh, so that is a little bit concerning, and I could see why they're hesitant to maybe buy somebody out. Uh, the other thing I got to say about Gaudet, I like the number change. He changed to number 96. Yeah. Second player in Canucks history to wear the number 96. First, obviously, being Pavel Bure when he changed his number from 10 to 96. And I guess he did it because that was the year he was born. That's a crazy thought. That's the year I graduated high school. <laughs> um, another thing with Gaudet, though, is he did go from five goals to 12 goals in about the same amount of games. So he is getting more. Um, I just think all of us in the playoffs, I felt like a, could have seen a little bit more out of him, like we were seeing from some of the other kids. 
Yeah, I thought he had a couple of decent games, but again, he just couldn't finish, right? Like he, he you noticed him on the second unit power play. He had a couple of good rushes and a couple of good board battles, but he just doesn't have that finish. It reminds me of a guy who like, he's got the puck on his stick and he makes a move and then all of a sudden he loses it right away. Yeah. And that's kind of frustrating. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do like Godet. I do think he has a decent upside. He's never going to be like a 25, 30 goal scorer, at least in my opinion. Um, but you know, he's a fifth round draft pick who's slotted to be your number three center for hopefully the next, you know, four to five years. And, uh, I do think he has that drive under like the, uh, unlike the other person you mentioned, Luke, Jake <laughs> to improve. I do yeah. feel like he has that drive to want to be better. Uh, the kid loves hockey. He loves, you know, he, he's from Boston. That was a terrible accent. Sorry. But anyways, he's from Boston. He loves that. He loves hockey. I believe he's got like a, a big tattoo, like a hockey themed tattoo. And uh, yeah, I do see him wanting to, you know, to, to improve his game. Uh, you know, I am worried that, you know, he's a bit of a Twitch streamer and, you know, maybe that takes a lot of his off season training away. But hey, man, kudos to you, man. You know, you got to make your dime when you can. Boston. Did I ever tell you about how when I went to that Canucks Bruins game of how I met the most Boston guys ever? And uh, I thought we were going to get beaten up, but they actually just they, it turned out to be pretty fun. But they just uh, they kept calling Markstrom Maxstrom, Maxstrom, <laughs> Jacob Maxstrom, and it was that's also a bad Boston accent. Um, I want to circle back to the buyouts because it's something we touched briefly on last week. Um, I'm still on the belief that the Canucks should use a buyout. Uh, if not one, maybe even two. And the, the two guys that I think are most likely for it, Sven Berchi and Brendan Sutter. I think those two guys, a buyout would make a lot of sense for this team. And I know what you mean about carrying dead money over, but in Sven Berchi's case, it's really not that bad. It's This year, he would be a cap hit of 1.7, and then you're carrying 800000 over into the second year. It's not that bad. It just it frees up like $1.6 for this year. So I, I know what you guys mean uh, about the buyout and the dead money, but what do you guys think? Are, they, are you guys in favor of buyouts? And if so, who would you guys buy out? It, it surprises me that no one's picked up Sven. Like he's with the cap hit so small, I feel like someone like Ottawa could have picked him up. But Sutter would be the main option for me, I think. Yeah, I think with Sven, I think one of the big issues, I think people are probably still scared of his like uh, um, concussion history. Mm -hmm. So I think that might scare teams off about wanting to pick up a guy that you might just end up throwing on LTIR anyways. Although he did play a pretty much a full year in Utica, and he was over a point a game, I believe. Yeah. Um, but I'm with you, Luke. I agree. I like. I, I'm actually surprised the team hasn't just taken a gamble on Sven. I mean, it would be cost them next to nothing to pick him up. I'm sure you could even maybe squeeze a bit of a sweetener out of the Canucks for it. But I think because of the flat cap and so many teams are hard pressed against the cap. I'm look. You know, I think Pete and I always try to stay more like down the middle with our criticism of the team and praise of the team. And a lot of people are criticizing Benning and the management and some of the moves they've made. But you look around the league, there's a lot of really good players that teams have had to walk away from. Mm -hmm. Arguably better players than the Canucks have walked away from. So I think it's just kind of the new era living in the COVID universe that we're living in and teams having to deal with a flat cap for the next three to four years and trying to navigate that and you know make the money work. And there are teams, like you said, like Ottawa, who are barely going to get to the floor. I've heard rumors, again, whether or not they're true, that like... There are some teams that are just wondering what happens if we don't get to the floor? Yeah. What do you do? Right? You can't force us to sign somebody. 
do we lose a draft pick? Well, sure. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that would ever happen. But, you know, I there have been rumblings of some teams are, you know, like, well, what happens if we weren't going to go to the floor? Well, and that's where a Louis, the value of a guy like Louis Erickson can also come in. Um, Sven Berici, there's a couple of things with him. He had 46 points in 43 games for Utica last year. That's good by AHL numbers. He did only play six games with the Canucks last year, but he actually finishes the season with the best Corsi percentage on the team. Is He was at it's over 63%. Next guy on the team was Petey with 55. So there are some things there you can pitch and be like, hey, this guy's still serviceable. I feel like there's more to Berchi than what we know. I, I, I'm surprised that he kind of so quickly got kicked to the curb. Um, I, I still think, though, that uh, a buyout would, would do the team best, probably do him well, too. Looking at the Sutter one, uh, it's bigger savings next year, but it's also with that comes more money that you carry on to the next year. So you'd save about $2.3 million next year, but then the year after that, the dead money, that's $1.1. So it's kind of Ryan Spooner money right there as well. And I know you still got the Luongo thing on the books for another year after this. So there could be that mentality that they don't want to pile on the dead weight like the Rangers are doing. I don't know if you guys have seen what the Rangers have in dead money, but it's pretty huge. I think they got like... 13 million or something tied up or I got to I got to look it up. It's it's a lot. I know they're still paying Kevin Shattenkirk like 4 million a year. Well, and then obviously they bought out Lundquist and they traded Mark Stahl and I believe they retained some of Stahl's uh money. I could be wrong about that, but I believe they did retain some of it. So, yeah, like like I said there's a lot of teams that are in a similar circumstance if not worse than the Canucks, but everyone just loves to dump on the Canucks and it blows my mind sometimes because I'm like look around the league. Mm-hmm. There's not too many teams that are any better. Yeah, it's pretty comforting. Yeah, there's a lot of guys uh, that teams had to let go and you look at guys who didn't get qualified uh, as well. There's it's not just us losing a guy like Troy Stetcher. Um, there's quite a few other guys who didn't get qualified and and became free agents. It's a tight year, and you know, we've seen this with the middle class in hockey right now. It's it's a tough year to be in the hockey middle class right now. I mean, you could say that about society in general, right? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Everyone go to Save On Foods and get your, get your points. <laughs> Are we sure Save On isn't a sponsor for this episode? <laughs> so, Godet looking at the 3C, we still got some holes up front on the wings, um, but let's uh, let's kind of dive into that a bit because we've had the Toffoli dust settle, and when we recorded last week, that was still pretty fresh. Now that we've had a week to digest it all, um, what are you guys' thoughts with Toffoli going to Montreal? Because it does seem like a number the Canucks could have come in at. What do you think really prevented that from happening? I would have liked Toffoli to be uh, to have been resigned. Um, you can kind of understand why with the issues the Canucks are having with their cap, but you have to bring someone else in to replace him. Yeah, you you, you still have that hole up there on the on the wing, for sure. Um, we see, we just talked about how tight it is signing Jake. Um, without moving money out, it makes it pretty damn hard to bring Toffoli in with, with all the circumstances around this team. You've got to move some money out. And this is where, you know, like we talk about the cap mismanagement and the the critics of Benning, this... This right now, it is the most crucial factor for the Canucks not resigning to Foley. It was just, where are you going to put $4 million bucks right now? Well, the other thing, too, I think, is what the Canucks gave up to acquire to Foley. Mm-hmm. I think the thought was that, okay, you're not, this isn't a rental. Your plan is to resign this guy. But the only way the Canucks can make that work now is they would have had to throw in a sweetener. So they traded a second round pick, uh, I, I want to say a top 
level B prospect in Tyler Madden. And I believe there might have been like a third or fourth round pick in there as well. But let's say they had to to try to dump someone like Sutter. They had to throw in an additional second round pick to whatever team picked up Sutter. Or let's say even a first round pick. Now to even re-sign to Foley, you're also having to add a second round pick to, in theory, what your acquisition cost was to get him originally. Mm -hmm. So I think that must have been another reason why it might have scared Canucks management away. The other thing, too, is... The Canucks won every series that Toffoli wasn't playing in. Yeah. They beat Minnesota. I mean, Toffoli went out, was it game one or two in that series? Two, I think. I agree. Yeah. And so they won that series. Obviously, they went through the entirety of the St. Louis series without Toffoli. And I believe he didn't make his debut in the Vegas series to game two. Um, so, you know, you the team showed that they could win without him. Obviously, it sucks looking back in hindsight that you know you gave up a good budding young prospect and a second round pick to acquire him but i think watching the games the management and the team realized that maybe they're a bit better than they thought they were heading into that series yeah i don't think uh i don't think they're going to be a worse team next year like everyone everyone's putting out this week i don't think so either i think the Nate Schmidt factor is is pretty big um and i also think that there's going to be some excitement with the blue line i think we're going to get a full season out of you levy uh, or maybe Rathbone. I think there's going to be some things to get excited about. I do think, though, I'm not crazy about the way the forwards are lining up right now because it is kind of the same. Um, one guy I would like to see come back and want to get your thoughts on it. Again, I don't know where you put in the space unless you're buying someone out or you're moving money out is Josh Leva. Um, and that's a guy I'd be curious to see in kind of a rotating spot right now in the in the top six because there is very much a hole in the top six right now. Yeah, Levo's great. It'll be it's going to be interesting to see if he's fully recovered from his he broke his knee kneecap, right? Yeah, that was the injury. Yeah, I mean it's a pretty serious injury, right? And I don't know what the history of players that have broken their kneecaps is in the mm. NHL. I can't imagine it's good. Um, but yeah, Levo's a guy that I think you could resign for a short term, low a- annual salary amount, low risk, high reward potentially. I also think that you know you look at. And we'll probably discuss this a little bit more later in the podcast. But, uh, you know, you look at what's happening over in the KHL with Pod Colson and how he's, you know, essentially being healthy scratched. I don't know if the Canucks would be willing to buy out his KHL contract. But maybe there's a way that the Canucks could maybe try to get him over here earlier. I don't know if there is, though. Uh, obviously, I don't think Aquilini's going to want to spend the money. I think it's probably like $2 million or something to get him out and... I can't see him, especially with you know all these owners being so cash-strapped right now, especially with not having fans in the game and not getting that gate revenue and that concession stand revenue. Um, but you know he's an option as well. And you know heading into the playoffs next year, you're going to have a guy like Pod Colson, you know, at your disposal. You might have a guy like Hoglander at your disposal as well. So I think it's just if the team can stay afloat for the majority of the season and just sneak into that playoff spot. And who also who knows how the season's going to break next year? I mean, there's talk of this Canadian. Um, division where all the Canadian teams are going to play each other, which I think is kind of smart. I agree. So my question with that then is like, well, how many of the Canadian teams do we really think are better than the Canucks? Like maybe the Leafs. The I know Montreal's made a lot of moves this year, but I do think their moves are very high risk. A guy like Josh Anderson, I like. He was a guy that I wanted the Canucks to maybe consider uh, acquiring. But I look at what the Canadians signed him for and what they gave up to get him. Uh, there's no way I would have wanted him on the Canucks if it was going to cost you that much. 
uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting year next year, and we don't even know how anything is going to break out as far as playoffs and how many teams are going to make it and if there'll be another play-in round like we had this year. Well, and you talk about uh, the two rookie wingers that the Canucks have in the folds, and that could have been a reason why they didn't want to invest in Tyler Toffoli as well, is when you have two guys who are coming in on entry-level deals that you can put into the wings who eventually move into there. I don't think Pod Colson right now is your answer for a uh, second-line right winger. I see him more as a bottom six when he does come in. Hoglander would be more into that role. But again, Pearson's contract is up after this year as well. So you're kind of looking at it as like, maybe this is what the long-term plan is. Uh, Again, we haven't seen what's happening with Jake yet. Um, For me, though, second line right now is, is what is our second line? Is it it Jake, Pearson, and Horvat at the moment? Uh, Is that who you guys would have? It's pretty much what I would have. Um, I'm just wondering if... I think you guys mentioned it on last week's episode. Are they anticipating not being as good this year and they're going to take a little step back? And then the following year, after the COVID issue sorts itself out, hopefully. I think this is a step... It may be a little bit of a step back this year, but I think there's the long-term plan uh, right now. And I think part with Toffoli as well is when they acquired him, there is no COVID on the horizon, right? Mm -hmm. They were acquiring him with the intent of the cap going up, with there being gate revenue. And I think a lot of it right now is like, okay, let's put this on pause. We got money on the books for all these contracts. Let's just clear everything out. Let's flush it all out over the next couple of years. And that's when the real push for for the team is and the window is. And I'm fully on board with that. Uh, I think there is this year, you know, we're going to see some more of of Demko. We're going to see some rookie blue liners. I think that's a given. We're going to see some rookie forwards. I think there could be an element of the team saying, let's see what we have here before we commit more money. Uh, And I I still think uh, a a Toffoli deal at four by four, that's going to age okay. But I think there's other contracts and other things you could do. Like you could go out and do something silly with with Mike Hoffman, which I don't think they're going to (laughs) do. But, no you know, it, that could be it's something that in other years it can actually be like, hey, let's let's go out and do that. I think with all these kind of question marks, I think there may be a little bit more patience than usual. Yeah, I also think like if we were to ask ourselves, you know, on paper, do we think the Canucks are better today than they were the final game against Vegas? I mean, you lost Stetcher, you lost Markstrom, who didn't play for, what, two or three games in the Vegas series. Demko stood on his head. Um, obviously, we don't have Toffoli, um, which hurts. It does. But Toffoli, like I said, he wasn't really on the Canucks lineup during the playoffs for the majority of their run anyways. You know, I do think Nate Schmidt is a definite upgrade over a guy like Chris Tanev. He gives you a little bit more offense than Tanev does. Uh, Tanev obviously gives you probably better defensive play. But I think Schmidt is much better at getting the puck out of his own end and that making that first pass up the ice to guys like PD, Besser, JT Miller. Um, but I pose this question to both you guys. I mean, on paper, do you think the Canucks are better today than they were at the end of their series against Vegas? It's so hard to say, for me at least. Um, I see a lot of people on Twitter, I guess, dumping on the team, saying this is like the start of the, the decline, an early de- early decline. I think this might cause some arguments. I think that's ridiculous. I think it's a little hold, and then they're going to push in a couple of years, like Pete said. As well, all the best players are still on this team and locked down for a while. I mean, Petey's not going anywhere. Hughes isn't Horvat. We can get into the Besser rumors as much as we want, but uh, JT Miller, the core of this team is here, and they're going to still be here. And if you're talking about developing these guys a couple more years through a really weird time and coming out of this when you have ticket revenues again, where you have money to spend, where you have some of these rookies, you know who you've hit on and who you've missed because – 
we're always optimistic about every rookie hitting, and we, we don't know if that's the case, right? Maybe one of the guys that we think is going to be good may end up being a dud, but a couple more years to actually work through it all. I think right now, if are they a better team? I, I think it's fairly lateral move. Uh, I think where they're going to hurt right now a bit more is up front, and they still need a little bit more help on the right side. I don't think they want two rookie defensemen starting, but Nate Schmidt, uh, is all of a sudden our second best defenseman, in my opinion. We have seriously upgraded our defense. I love Tanev. It's still a modern miracle that he didn't get injured. <laughs> uh, and that's just, that's something we have to remember is Tanev is, is injury prone with just the way he plays and the age factor. Um, that's an upgrade. Losing Markstrom, I, 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 you can't diminish that. I think the goaltending will be a little bit of a step back, but not as much. Um, I think Demko and Holtby, I think Holtby with Ian Clark is going to be better than he was with Washington. It's just up front. There's still some holes up front. We haven't figured out what to do with all this dead contract space. I love that McEwen and Mott are coming back as well. And I know I said that last week. I think those are two really tidy bits of business that really help this team as well. Yeah, I mean, I think one of my biggest concerns not having to fully on the team is secondary scoring. Outside of the PD and JT Miller line, whether you're playing Besser on that line, or I know some people are speculating that you put Jake Vertanen on that line, um, that line's always going to produce. You know, it, you don't ever have to worry about that line. But it's, you know, Horvat's line. And that third line, you know, and we touched on Adam Gaudet. If Gaudet can add, you know, 15, 20 goals to his game and be a consistent 15, 20 goal scorer, you know, that will help pick up some of those goals. The The secondary scoring is a bit of a concern. And obviously the bottom six, you know, they were hemmed in their own zone in the St. Louis series and in the Vegas series. And they seem to be pretty much the same. Now, we briefly mentioned Jace Howerlick. He'll definitely fit in on that bottom six, whether or not where he fits. It's a two-way contract, so I believe he can go to the AHL. Um, he's apparently a super pest, you know, he's a Alex Burrow slash Antoine Roussel type of player. He's not going to get you a lot of points, but he's a guy that'll get under your opponent's skin. And, you know, apparently he's pretty decent defensively as well. Uh, but yeah, the bottom six is unchanged and that is a bit of a concern for me. And this goes back to what we were talking about last summer is I'm sick of talking about bottom six teams that win the cup don't have a bottom six. They have a top nine and then a shutdown unit. And we still have very much a bottom six because we aren't getting production out of the third line. And I don't think you necessarily need production out of a fourth line. They serve a different role, but you need production out of a third line. And I'm worried about the production out of the second line. And for me, that's where I, I, it's, it's essentially the same core group of forwards as we had last year going into camp. And so to kind of put that same core together and expect different results is a little bit crazy. Uh, it's the same thing with the blue line. We knew that if you wanted... The blue line needed help more so than the forward group did. And there has been some retooling. It's okay. I still think we need another veteran on the right side. But scoring, I do think, um, is going to be very, right now, heavily reliant on the, the lotto line and, and whatever we get out of the second line. But unless some of these guys in the third line can uh, turn a corner or we can make some switches, I think scoring will be a trouble some nights. We got shut up three times by Vegas. Yeah. And that was with Toffoli. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, and what about goaltending? Do you guys think the goaltending should hopefully be like, I know Markstrom was our MVP last year. He had a great campaign, but you know, do you think I'll pose this question to you, Luke, do you think the Canucks made the right decision by going with Demko as their future goalie uh, for 
hopefully the next decade, as opposed to locking up a guy like Markstrom, who had a career year. The last two years, he was great. He was unbelievable. I also think, you know, he's just a generally really good dude, and he's got a kind of a funny personality like Eddie Lack did back in the day, Pete's uh, taco buddy. Uh, funny story about uh, Eddie Lack buying Pete a shot of tequila at a, a really cool taco bar in, uh, in Vancouver. Not a sponsor. <laughs> Not a sponsor, exactly. Um, but, you know, what do you think? Do you think the Canucks made the right decision in, uh, you know, putting all their chips behind Demko? I was I was all for uh, trading Demko in the OEL package originally. Mm-hmm. I was pushing for it. I thought it was a great idea. But then it didn't happen, and Markstrom got traded for that, for that cost. I thought that was good to avoid. Honestly, I think Demko is going to be great. I'm a little worried about his concussion history. Yeah. That's the one thing that concerns me, and I'm wondering how they're gonna they're gonna work it next year. Is he gonna be number one? Holtby's gonna be backup. Is that the the idea? I think so. I mean, it would make sense. I think that you go into the season starting Demko, but there's gonna be a lot of back to back games mm-hmm. next year, so uh, it could be almost a fifty fifty split. I think. Yeah, I mean, I would assume Green's going to go into training camp saying it's an open competition and whoever mm-hmm. he thinks the best goalie is out of camp will be their starter for opening night. Uh, I would assume they're going to give Demko every opportunity to kind of seize that pose- uh, seize the opportunity. However, I have also heard people talk about Holpe, that he's a guy that like he will love to help and mentor young goalies, but... He wants to play too, and he's a competitive and fiery guy. And he's not just going to kind of be a pushover and let Demko kind of take the starting job away. He's going to fight for that job as well, which is great. Mm-hmm. I think I think he knows though what his role is here. Though I think he's you know he's worked with Varlamov before. He knows that Demko's the future, and I, I think there is a mentorship that's coming with that as well. And he's coming back west, and uh, that's another thing is Jace is also a Saskatchewan boy, so they're bringing in. Uh, couple of these western canadian kids um i i think i think demko from what we've seen i think he's got the kit and i think when you look at the possibility that the canucks could have traded demko brought in oel signed markstrom all of a sudden there's 14 million bucks right there mm-hmm. and like wh- wh- where is that coming from that's a lot um i love markstrom but I, I i'm curious if we didn't see those three games out of demko against vegas would this have all happened? Could this have just been one of those, like, you know, total butterfly effect things? Are you guys a little worried that the the sample size for Demko was those three games and whatever, how many games he played last year? Is that worry? Not for sure. I mean, what was it? Brian Boucher once put up four straight shutouts. I mean, it's, there's a possibility, but I think with Demko, from what we saw and how he played and under the pressure that he did and working with Ian Clark, I don't think he's a flash in the pan. I think... The sample size we saw was probably peak Demko because he was he was playing at his peak. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you're going to get that every night because that's not sustainable. Putting up like a 980 uh, save percentage, that's just not sustainable. But I do think that he's going to be a very good goalie in this league. And I think Braden Holtby on a much more reasonable contract is is a great option. And, hey, we may only have Braden Holtby for one year. Seattle could grab him too. Yeah, Uh I do think Demko has the pedigree and he's had the pedigree since he was drafted to kind of be a future number one. Obviously, the stars have to align. Um, but I do think he's shown enough when he was in college and then, you know, the three or four years he played in Utica and then the last couple of years, the year and a half, he's been the backup for Vancouver that he does have it. He just hasn't been given the opportunity. Um, also, 
like a lot of goalies in sport, it depends on the team in front of them, right? And if the team in front of them's given up, you know, chance after chance and the defensive play isn't great, it's going to obviously affect how Demko's stats and numbers look. Um, I do think the team's trying to get better defensively. And I, yeah, I do think I, you bring up a really good point, Luke, like the small sample size is concerning to kind of put all your chips in behind this kid. When you're MVP for the last two years, you pretty much let walk to a rival. Um, but you look at what Markstrom got and the full no move clause. I think that was a, was a deterring factor for the Canucks. And another great point is, you know, would we even be discussing Demko if he didn't have that crazy run against the Vegas, uh, I was with you, Luke, like halfway through the year, I was like thinking, you know, I would be okay. Maybe trading Demko uh, package made with a guy like Vertanen or, you know, who knows another young player to maybe grab a young defenseman in return. Uh, I don't know. Like Jake Bean is a guy that comes to mind. Uh, there's uh, not, um, not Robbie Fabry. Is it Robbie Fabry or Dante Fabro? Thank you, Pete. Uh, he's, he's the other guy that I, you know, had in mind is maybe these are good young defensemen that you could trade, uh, Demko package him with a guy like Vertanen for, uh, the, the position in general is just so hard to figure out, right? Mm -hmm. Like Pete said, you know, that you got these goalies that kind of come out of nowhere and just go on a bit of a run. Uh, you know, I look at, um, Jordan Binnington. I think he's a guy, who knows? Like, I still think he's a decent goalie, but he seemed to kind of come out of nowhere, um, the guy that just uh, Ottawa just signed, Matt Murray, he's yeah. another young goalie that to me, I didn't think he was that highly touted, but again, I'm not no prospect, uh, savant or anything like that, but he definitely seemed like a guy that kind of came out of nowhere, won two Stanley cups with Pittsburgh, Cam Ward with, uh, the Carolina hurricanes back in the day. He was another guy. So yeah, it's interesting to see, but I like it. I like the youth movement. I want to get younger. I want more young players getting an opportunity to make an impact on the team. Uh, I understand why you want to try to insulate some of the young guys with these veterans, but I think it is important to have the young players play and develop. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to the Canada division that we uh, talked about a bit there. Seven teams in the division. It's It's actually pretty interesting all the teams in there even ottawa is an interesting team in that just take a moment here where would you rank the canucks in this division i think it, there's there's the rest of the teams there you can put they're almost interchangeable between one and six in a lot of ways but just have a think where would you guys rank the canucks out of those seven or just really quickly how would you even rank the seven i think maybe we'd all put ottawa as the number seven right now but otherwise, who is the best Canadian team right now? And uh, where does Vancouver fit in? My heart says first, but my head says, I don't know. I don't want to say the Leafs first. I really don't think. I don't think the Leafs uh, are. I actually think the Leafs, for all the moves they've done, um, they're slower up front right now. They're mm -hmm. a lot slower up front. And it looks great on paper bringing in Simmons and Thornton. Um, but... I don't believe that they're actually a better team because they've lost Kapanen and Janssen. All of a sudden, their secondary scoring isn't as good, and they're a lot less fast. But I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's Toronto either. Um, but and that's the thing though is like Toronto, Montreal, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, and Winnipeg. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. And even Ottawa in there with some of their young kids. It's it would be a fun division. So, I mean, I'm asking you guys. I I can't picture either where the Canucks are. Maybe third, but it's a bit of a it's a bit of a coin toss. I don't even know who I'd put them behind. What do you got, Doug? If I'm going pure talent, 
as much as it pains me, I do have to say the Leafs are probably first, but I think the team that could end up winning the division, especially if their goaltender can play like we all know he can, it's the Montreal Canadiens and Carey Price. Um, I really think the Canadiens got a good young nucleus that's starting to play together. Guys like uh, Suzuki, uh, Kokiniemi, uh, Ryan Paling, who I really like. And then, uh, they've also got you know a solid defensive core and a guy like Shea Weber and whatnot. And they got the goaltending. If Price can stay healthy and he can play like we know he can, I, I definitely think the Canadians could definitely be pushing for that top spot. Going back to the Leafs, I do almost feel like Dubis kind of like listen to all the criticism, right? That people were always criticizing him because he's going for all these young, small, skilled players and they need more size. They need more grit. They need more toughness. They need more leadership. And he seemed to just kind of like play into all that criticism and sign all these guys that, and again, Thornton's going to be a Hall of Famer. And, you know, as your fourth line center, I think that's great value. You know, Simmons, yeah, he will bring a certain aspect to your game that the Leafs were probably missing. But, you know, I still think puck possession and skill and speed wins in today's NHL. And like you said, Pete, they are a lot slower. Uh, Winnipeg, I I mean, who knows what's happening with Line A. There's lots of rumors about him getting traded. Um, they seem like they're in a bit of a mess. Uh, their defense, to me, I still think has lots of holes. Not saying that the Canucks doesn't. I would probably go Leafs, Canadians, Canucks, 1, 2, and 3. Uh, Calgary, Calgary, 4. Winnipeg, 5. Oilers, six. Ottawa, seven. Montreal does have a really good team this year, and I think they got to make a push because they have some cap issues after this year as well. But Montreal's blue line is probably the most solid out of the Canadian teams, and their goaltending with Carey Price is pretty solid. And so I, I don't think that's a bad take at all with maybe Montreal winning it. I'd maybe have Edmonton a little higher than you. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd maybe put Edmonton fourth and then Winnipeg. and then Cal- I'm, not, I'm just not sold on Calgary right now. You guys know Mike Smith and I forget the other guy's name are back in goal for Edmonton this year, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean that's probably your glare, most glaring hole as a team and a franchise, and you did nothing. Now, truth be told, apparently they made a big pitch towards Markey. He chose Calgary over Edmonton. I totally understand why, <laughs> having been in both cities. But, I mean, you got it. Like, you think they would have been in on the Matt Murray trade or something. Like, I know they probably couldn't have fit him in salary cap-wise, but, you know, you buy someone out or you, you, you make a move because, I mean, that is your most glaring issue right now on your team. And you have the best player in the world. And what are you doing? I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I understand it's hard to put Edmonton as the second worst team when they have the best player and the reigning MVP on the team. And the best player in the world wasn't even the MVP last year. But that goaltending, man. I think I th- I'm going to rate them a lot higher. I think uh, they surprised last year, and I think they're going to do the same again this year. I think I can see them a regular season team. They also have a lot of guys on uh, that are UFAs after this year. Um, a lot of guys, so that could inspire them to 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 play a little harder. Winnipeg, I, I just never rule them out under Paul Maurice and uh, Shevel Dayoff. I think they they're very smart with what they do. So um, I think Winnipeg will beat out the Alberta teams just they always seem to as well but again this is uh, what makes it fun I don't think Toronto I don't have Toronto winning I think Montreal more likely to win the division um, and then it just gets into a, a slog fest but that's going to be a heck of a lot of fun to watch um, circling back to something we hinted at way back in the episode um, I want to talk about what's happening over in St. Petersburg with uh, Vasily Pug Carlson and um, the news that he got scratched healthy scratch from the game 
four guys got scratched from what I understand after they lost. Four guys came in. They won without him in the lineup. What is going to happen with Pod Colson now? What, uh, what do you guys think about what's happening over there? It's a little worrying. Um, from what you told me before we started this afternoon, he, he said something about the coach as well. Was that was – that- yeah, I, I heard something that he had made a comment about the coach. Um, and so I think and over there, the coach wasn't having it. I believe the coach was away from the team. I believe he tested positive for COVID-19. And so there was an interim coach coming in. And that's why you saw Pod Colson jump up from the fourth line to the first line for a few games. And his minutes went up. And then Bragan, I believe, is the coach's name. Uh, today was his first game back. I feel like arguing with a coach is a major red flag. For me, at least, I don't know how do you guys feel. Well, especially in Russia, they just don't don't have that. Um, and the KHL is not very fair for young Russians who are signed in North America. It's it's tough. And uh, you know, there's the VHL and the MHL over there, where the junior leagues, where Pod Golson could go down there and he would run amok. And uh, I, I I'm still, you know, I've said this before too. I, the World Juniors this year. Pod Colson is going to put on a show. He's going to be a beast out there. But this is not good for development right now. You need a guy to be playing. You need ice time, especially this year, to develop. Um, so I'm not thrilled about it, but what are the options? Buying out his contract? I don't see that happening. Peter St. Petersburg sending him down to one of the other leagues? Uh, maybe, and I'm okay with that right now. Yeah, I know what you're saying about, like, it's kind of a red flag that he's calling out his coach, Luke. Mm-hmm. But I do think... You know, a lot of the media in Russia has been saying how they can't believe that he's getting so few minutes and he's on the fourth line. He's one of the best uh, drivers of play and his analytics are through the roof. And he's just one of those guys that's always battling, always, you know, trying his hardest. And I do think a lot of it comes down to, especially in the KHL, if they know you're leaving at the end of the year, which by all accounts, Pod Colson will be leaving at the end of the year to come over to North America and play for our Vancouver Canucks, they don't want to help him develop because they're like, why do we want to put any effort or time into you when you're going to be gone at the end of the year anyways? And to your point, Pete, about how it's not a great development league, especially for these young Russian kids who are drafted but are still under a KHL contract, they don't want to have to... You know, they don't want to do you any favors because you're going to leave the team in a year. And the other thing with uh, St. Petersburg, they are a veteran heavy team. Um, So a lot of their, you know, they're a team that relies on the veteran players. They don't play a lot of young guys and a lot of their veteran player, you know, they're pushing for a KHL. I don't know what the trophy's called. Uh, the Putin Cup. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're, they're a team that is, you know, on the upper echelon of KHL teams and they're pressing for a championship every year. And you see this in the NHL. You know, most of these, you know, really strong top tier teams, they're not relying on their rookies uh, game in and game out. So, yeah, I mean, it really sucks for Pod Colson. Uh, I hope he can get on his coach's side. I do. I, I shout out to Cam Robinson on Twitter. Uh, I asked a question because he brought up the fact that, you know, who knows, we might not see Pod Colson play for the next month, uh, which is kind of scary. And I asked, uh, you know, uh, well, at least we have the World Juniors to look after or to look forward to. Uh, but I hope Bragan isn't the coach because I believe he was the last couple of years. And he said that actually Igor Larionov is going to be the coach this year, which is awesome. And Larionov's been a big fan of Pod Colson, and he's even talked about potentially putting the C on him uh, for the World Junior Champion or tournament coming up. So that's a great sign. The Yuri Gagarin Cup. That's what it is. Um, 
named after the astronaut. So that's actually mm. kind of cool. Um, I'll, I'll give them I'll give them some props for that one. First man in space, wasn't he? Like the first official man in I space. Think so. He was. He was. Should we take it into the free pour, guys? Let's do it. All right, it's that time of the episode. It's the free pour open floor segment, and I'm just going to jump into mine, and I'm actually going to do a bit of a food recommendation. Uh, obviously, you know, restaurants and bars are struggling at the moment, especially with some of the regulations that are happening around the city. Uh, but one spot that I have to shout out, and, you know, it's always kind of been like a, a grab-and-go spot, is uh, Duffin's Donuts on 41st and Night. Uh, great spot. They have amazing donuts, great fried chicken. Uh, some of their sandwiches, their tortoise subs are awesome as well. I recommend the machaca. Uh, I'm not sure if they can actually stay open 24 hours or not, but I know uh, my fiance and I, we've hit up Duffin Donuts a couple of times in the last uh, two weeks here to grab some donuts and some fried chicken for a snack. Uh, yeah, man, Duffin's Donuts, definitely a staple in Vancouver. I've never been. Uh. <laughs> also not a sponsor of the show. <laughs> Um, I'm just going to talk about, again, this beautiful fall weather. It was so nice on Saturday to, to have a crisp, cool fall day. love this time of year. And I just went for a big bike ride uh, around Vancouver because I knew, well, probably going to rain or snow or hurricane or something on us. But it was great. I went through, like, all, all sorts of my favorite spots. So I went through Strathcona and East Van and Trout Lake and out through, like, Marple, which is actually a really nice area to bike along, and the Arbutus Corridor and into... Kitsilano. It was awesome. And uh, stopped at Red Cat Records along the way, bought a Led Zeppelin record. So also also a good day with that. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, this time of year, perfect biking weather when it's not raining. Luke, what do you got for us? Uh, I just want to talk about Dave Nordham on Twitter. Um, he's a very loyal Canucks fan who's uh, struggling with cancer for the second time, I believe. Uh, he's trying to support his family, his kids, and is unable to work and is going through all kinds of horrible surgery. So there is a GoFundMe for him out there, which I keep posting links to most days. Um, I guess I'll post one out when I throw this out as well. Um, but yeah, just donate what you can because he really needs our, our money and our, our good folks right now. And it was nice to see the Canucks finally jumping on that today as well and, and giving him a shout. Yeah, that was. And Quadrelli, I believe, uh, yeah. wrote an article as well. Great he, article. Yeah, he deserves uh, a mention as well. Yeah. Here are the thrill seekers, corrupt and immoral. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 54, just about in the books. Huh? Guys, what do you think? How did, how'd it go? Luke, how did it feel being in front of the mic? It was good. I get a little nervous in these situations, but it was it was fun. Thanks for having me, guys. I, I get nervous. Uh, I get nervous still, too. Oh, thanks for coming on, man. It was great. You know, we got to meet you that one time uh, at, at the place of work that you have, <laughs> and uh, we got to enjoy the game and said, hey, this guy's all right. Maybe we'll bring him on and just chat hockey. That's, that's what we like to do around here. Yeah, man. It's, again, it's always easy talking to you or talking to whoever. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to come and chat with Pete and I about some Canucks topics and stuff. But it's, uh, yeah, man, especially right now, I think we all need some sort of like 
output release. And uh, yeah, man, I really appreciate you coming on and chatting with Pete and I. No worries. It's nice to be outside my house for a few hours. So yeah. And we got two more months or so, or who knows, of off season. So uh, we get to dissect everything in this market, which, uh, I mean, what could possibly go wrong about two months or so of Canucks fans discussing things uh, while the team doesn't play a game, right? Uh, anyways, you can follow me online. I'm at Pete underscore gas. Uh, the podcast is at Canucks Speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And the funky jam you're hearing now is going to be added to the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify. Give that a follow as well. Support some of these artists that are definitely struggling during this pandemic. I'm Luke the Bartender at LCFRST2. Are you sure about it this time, right? Because I saw you look it up there. <laughs> Very sure. Right on. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.